0: To me, it was the right fit, you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If
1: you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. we play playing New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some shippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line. And I'll take a team like that.
0: Once a Giant, always a Giant. For me, it's only a Giant.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I'm your host Art Stapleton, and I'm really excited for today's show. We are a week in change into free agency and no, Joe Shane is not asleep. Uh, he just has a different budget to work with than the Giants worked with under their former regime last year. and we will get into what's happened the first week and a half of free agency. Plus, we're going to look ahead to the draft with today's guest, Dan Schneier. A lot of respect for his work from CBS Sports and the Big Blue Banter Podcast with Nick Filato. Dan, welcome to the show. And I gotta be honest, it's been a long time coming. You guys, you and Nick and I have gone back and forth, back and forth in the Twitter sphere for a while. It's great to finally have you on and welcome to all in.
0: Art, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pretty cool ride to, you know, get to connect with you online. You're one of the people who I grew up learning the Giants from, and that's something that's important to me because I'm not, I would not be where I'm at today, at least in my mind, with my knowledge of the game and knowledge of the Giant, without someone like you coming up. You know for a while now I've respected your work on the beat. Put it up with anyone. Anyone I've seen on the beat, so really cool to be here talking Giants with you. It's been—I like that you said it's been a long time coming because I'm just happy to be here.
1: Well, listen, I I appreciate it. We can get rid of the all right back and forth. You like me, I like you. All right, there we go. We're we're good. Let's 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 move on to what everyone wants to hear about, and that's obviously the Giants. So I want to dive into a bunch of different things with you, and just kind of. Go back and forth, so the show will take us wherever it takes us. But uh, I think first things first, probably look at what's happened in free agency so far. And my first question to you would be, what's happened to this point? Has it met your expectations? Is this what you thought you'd see from the Giants? And if there is one thing that they haven't done that you would have liked them to see, uh, what would that be?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's met my expectation of what I thought this free agency would be. And it's weird to say had a free agency that was so nondescript, but I love it. I love what Joe Shane is doing, and here's the reason why. I'm not a big believer in constraints by the salary cap long term. The cap is fluid in my mind. But if you're Joe Shane right now, and you're Brian Dable right now, you're looking at this roster and you're understanding that top-end talent, is not really there at a lot of positions, and depth is even worse. That's just the state of the roster that they were left in. That's not their fault, but that's the situation, the reality. So if you're them, why dip into future cap now with players that you don't know are going to be a part of your future, something the Giants did last year, to be quite honest, and now they're in a position with some of those players where they're not sure. One, they had the cut in Logan Ryan, where they pushed the cap it back. So why do that now when you can instead do what they did? sign a lot of depth players, sign a lot of players they know already, players they know are professionals who can come in and help set an example for the most important draft class you're going to have as a GM and a head coach. This draft class, the Giants have a ton of picks, a ton of capital, two picks in the top seven, multiple picks on day two, multiple picks on day three, more than usual. So I love what they did because they put in a position, they put in players who can you know, set an example for these younger players who are going to be their core. And look, if any of these guys end up being better than expected within the system, they'll get another deal. Matt Breda, he'll get another deal. You know, all these one-year deals that they've signed. And then more importantly, Art, the one thing that I've wanted to see now for quite some time is a commitment to the offensive line. That doesn't mean go out and sign two Nate Soldiers, but it does mean sign depth, bring in competition constantly on the offensive line. And I love what they did there, bringing in Glowinski. And even, you know, some of their smaller signings there on the offensive line, Feliciano... So players who are going to compete for jobs and players who are going to provide depth and competition in training camp. Instead of, you know, going through and waiting until August to sign a couple of players that may or may not end up retiring on the Giants. So I really feel like they did a great job so far in agency with what they had to work with.
1: Yeah, you know, I, and I agree with you, everything you said. Everyone has held on to Joe Shane's words from the Combine in terms of, what he'll do, what he's not willing to do, kicking the can down the road. And I think you kind of hit on it. It isn't about not pushing money into the future. It's about pushing the right money into the future. And yes, they may have they looked at Graham Gano and they needed a little money to be able to make some of the signings that they've made this week, but smaller signings, guys that are going to be Foundation pieces for 2022 and then you see where it's at, but they're not going to look to extend guys that are on the roster that might not be answers for what they want to build in 2023 and moving forward. And it's not a knock on the player. You know, we've heard it. I mean, let's get into it. The James Bradbury situation. Uh, it's definitely a hard one for fans to swallow or some fans to swallow. And I understand it, but. The reality is, is that it's not about James Bradbury as a player today. It's about James Bradbury as a player next year or the year after. So I can see why Joe Shane is not willing to jump into an extension that now is going to put money on your cap in 2024 when James Bradbury might not be here on this roster. Uh, How do you see the Bradbury situation from where you're sit?
0: I think you nailed it, Art. I think what Giants fans have to realize and accept, and it's okay, we can accept this right now, is that they're taking a different approach than we've seen in a while. Maybe this is the approach they should have taken in 2018 when that was all turning over, and maybe it's another approach they could have taken again in 2019, but they didn't. And this approach is a long-term approach. And that means that a player that might be good for you tomorrow or in the 2022 season, but may not have a standing on the roster like you said in 2023, 2024, isn't worth keeping on your roster right now, and it's tough to swallow that the Giants may not be as competitive as we want them to be. Nobody wants to go into a season and say, "Look, we have no chance to win." And I'm not saying that's the case. Anything, the NFL's crazy. Things, yeah. things can happen. Hundred percent upgrade. Like the scheme upgrade could be huge for Daniel Jones in that offense. We don't know. The offensive line could all mesh together. But the point is. As you look at this roster, it's as barren as it's been in my memory. Even the last days of Jerry Reese, even what Gettleman inherited, this is, in my mind, less less depth and less top-end talent. So they're looking at it long term. The other thing you got to consider with the Bradbury situation is, they brought in a new defense, and it's a very different system, and this system is going to use a lot more man coverage, press man coverage on the outside. That's something we thought we'd see last year with Patrick Graham after they drafted Aaron Robinson, and after Patrick Graham kind of said, we're going to try to move there. You know, he said, all all the best NFL defenses run a lot of heavy man, but they didn't. The Giants still used predominantly zone last year with Patrick Graham. That's all about to change with Wink Martindale, and if you look the film last year, there was a noticeable drop off for James Bradbury when he was in man coverage. He did get beat on the outside, and man, he still is the same all excellent cornerback in zone. He still has unbelievable savvy in my mind, and gets his hands on passes that no, that very few cornerbacks can get their hands on. Makes great plays at the, at, you know, at the point of contact, at the catch point. But for this system, he's not exactly a fit, and that could get worse as he gets older. He could be an even more liability.
1: You know, and I agree with you, and I, I think uh, I think they will. It'll be interesting to see how I've seen several other reporters on the beat refer to it as a game of chicken. How will they handle this between Shane trying to get the right price for Bradbury but teams in the league knowing that they're ready to move on from Bradbury? Uh, that's why I laugh, and, and I, obviously you know I, on Twitter I like having some fun. Every time it looks like another team is going to need a corner, It's kind of, you know, pick up the phone, call Joe Shane. He's got a corner sitting on his roster, burning a hole through his salary cap. I mean, and I know people kind of get tweaked by that, but it's really only a a joke in terms of Bradbury's talent. You talked a lot about the system. You know, look, players can fit systems. You could make it work. If James Bradbury was making $7 million this year... I'm sure that they would say, you know what, maybe we can make it work. Wink Martindale would look at it to talk to Jerome Henderson and say, what does Bradbury do best? What what can we do to, to add a wrinkle to kind of make him one of our guys? But when it's such a huge cap hit and they're in desperate need of space, that's going to come in June and July when they have to sign this nine person, maybe larger, maybe a little smaller draft class with two top 10 picks, potentially, the last thing you want to do is go into this draft saying, we have to trade one of our top 10 picks because we're not going to be able to afford that draft pick. That's just ridiculous. If you're in this league and you can't pay first round draft picks, there's a problem because of the rookie scale you should be able you should have no problem paying that bill that should not be an issue you should not be looking to unload a top 10 pick because you don't think you can fit that player under the salary cap but i did mention the draft so let's Let's pivot there, because to me, I I don't know if you think, I think they've gotten one starter out of free agency right now, and that's Mark Lewinsky. You mentioned him. Uh, I think he'll play either left or right guard. I'm not really sure. That probably depends on what they do in the draft. But I think the draft is going to be so much a a bigger chunk of not only what they're going to do for this year, but moving forward. So I want to pivot to the draft. I know you dig in. I know you love it just as much as I do. You're sitting there now at Joe Shane. You've you've got five weeks from when we're recording this uh, and when the show is going to post. What are you thinking right now in terms of what they do at five, what they do at seven, and where where do you think or where would you like them to go?
0: Yeah, it's going to be great, Art, because, look, this is such a pivotal draft of the Giants for so many reasons, but mostly because look how many jobs are up for grabs. Like, this class could come right in. And be right in the mix in training camp for tons of different starting jobs that we haven't seen in a while, especially with those early picks that you mentioned. So let's start there. At five is, I think both picks are really interesting from the standpoint of two, two, two ways. One, there is one quarterback rising up draft boards right now, and that's Malik Willis. As we got, more, I mean, he's been my quarterback one for 15 months now. I had a feeling this is how it was going to go. This is a similar rise I had with Mahomes. The NFL is starting to learn something when it comes to quarterbacks. If you have next-level arm talent, and you can see that by watching any Malik Willis film, the ball jumps out of his hands, and he's able to make ridiculous throws on the run. And if you have athleticism, which he obviously also has, the hope is you can pair him with the right coach and you can find a star. That's what happened with Justin Herbert, who had some concerns coming out of Oregon. That's what happened with Josh Allen. It doesn't always work out like that, but I feel like that's the blueprint right now. So as he rides up boards, there's now a lot of teams that could be in the mix for him. Atlanta, Detroit potentially at two. That's kind of been a weird rumor that I somewhat see as maybe not happening, but it's a rumor. Carolina and the Steelers obviously are you know, in a, in a spot where they, they're a little further back in the draft. It might be weird to try to trade down from the deep 20s into the five spot, but they're interested in Wills as well. So that makes the Giants pick at both five and seven, a potential trade spot for the quarterback. Yep. So for me right now, I will start by saying this, Art. I'm in the camp of trade back, if you can, at five or seven, because A, I believe in trading back in general. It gives you more assets for the future, and it gives you more of those cheap rookie contracts. But B, it puts them in position next year where if they have two first-round picks, they could be in the quarterback market, and they could use one of those picks to trade up for a quarterback if they're not in position to get one of those quarterbacks. But if they keep those picks, Art, at five, I think they're in a good spot to get one of the two tackles. (laughs) But then that for me, that's Evan Neal and Ike Iguan. Now, the reason I think that's the case is because of what Jacksonville did in free agency They positioned themselves to get kind of out of that tackle market, and I thought they might be there. And the Jets, another team that I thought might be in that market, I now think they're leaning edge at that position, or they could go soft-garner because they're really weak at corner. So that should give the Giants a chance at one of those two at five. And then when it comes to seven, it's an interesting spot if they don't trade back. Because we know the Giants are definitely doing their due diligence on Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner, if he makes it down there. And I think that's a possibility. I believe I read today that he met with the Giants brass last night for dinner after the pro day. Yeah, And we know one thing that's really important here in this art. Wink Martindale is a believer in my theory on defense, and I'm a big believer in this. Pass coverage trumps, pass rush. Now, a lot of people don't like this take, I understand. But as the NFL moves more and more towards systems that simply just are designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands in two or two and a half seconds or less. It's more important to have guys who can hold up in coverage than guys who can win these one-on-one pass rush situations with the exception of, obviously, of third and long situations where, you know, plays are designed to take three, four, five seconds for the quarterback. But in those early downs, you need guys who can hold up in coverage because you can manufacture the pressure. Wink Martindale does an unbelievable job of manufacturing the pressure. I can't wait for Giants fans to watch his defense because, yeah, they're going to give up some big plays, but they're going to have six, seven, eight guys in the line of scrimmage, and you're not going to know who's bringing pressure, but five, six of these guys are going to bring pressure a lot. So I've had faith in Wink Martindale creating and manufacturing pressure. But I think they need guys who can hold up in man coverage on an island where they don't always have safety help over the top because the safeties are in the box a lot of the time. And mod Garner, to me, is that guy. I think he has the perfect length to play on the outside as a man coverage cornerback, which is incredibly important in my mind for outside boundary cornerback position. And I think he has the traits that you know lead to the type of alpha corner who can match up with a guy man to man, one-on-one, on an island. So for me, if they can come out of this thing, with Garner and one of the tackles, if they don't trade back, that's a home run for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I agree with you. And I, I obviously, as you said about Malik Willis and the rest of the quarterbacks, that's creating uh, a little bit of buzz. And, you know, look, we, we always get these this buzz out of pro days and for quarterbacks especially and how great guys look throwing on air. I mean, this is what these guys have done. You know, they put a script together and and they go out there and they impress. And that's what they're supposed to do. But uh there's a lot more that goes into the pro day as far as evaluation goes. I mean, we just watch the pro day and their oohs and ahs and it, it it's one of those things where it's like yeah well tell me what he's gonna do if they got a zero blitz on the on the other side yeah. and they come yeah. from on the other side or you know his right tackle can't make that block I mean and for someone who's watched the Giants as you have and I have we all know what you know the best laid plans I mean I'm sure there are Numerous plays that Jason Garrett called as offensive coordinator that they could go back and show us and say, well, if this guy was blocked, look how open this guy and this guy was, you know, albeit on a curl. But that—that's you know, those are the things that pro days don't really account for. So I do think you mentioned the 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 QB situation. Um, uh, I you know, look to me, there's too much talking about. The Giants, oh, they definitely have to you know, trade back. I think you and I are on the same page. You don't trade back just to trade back. I mean, because then you, you possibly cost yourself a, an opportunity to get a stud that can help you for 10 years. I mean, look at last year, case in point, and people don't want to remember this. The Giants traded back, and they were celebrated. It was got the first-round pick from Chicago, they ended up with Kadarius Tony, but then all of a sudden, when the season started turning and Kadarius Tony wasn't on the field, it was—I can't believe they passed on Micah Parsons. And how did they allow the Eagles to leapfrog them for for Devontae Smith and all that stuff? The reality That's is, later it could be
0: a nice tackle for the next ten years. There was talk of that as well.
1: Exactly. Um, so. You know, with Slater in that situation, they moved past him. They wouldn't have gotten him at 20. So I just think that you almost have to do it. And I think Shane, to this point, has shown me the kind of personality that he's going to let it come to him, that he's not going to be overly aggressive when he doesn't have to be. Uh, And that myth in Buffalo was kind of shattered a little bit by Brandon Bean going back to when they made the trade for Stefan Diggs, but also this year going after Von Miller in free agency. But for the most part, they have kind of sat back a little bit. They've been patient. They've built, got, they've built their foundation. And I think that's where Shane is right now. So I think he sits at five. If somebody comes up and, and offers him a good deal, I think he, I think he takes it. I think he'll probably zero in on a guy at seven. That's why I think they'll be doing so much homework uh, that they have already done on Charles Cross tackle down at Mississippi State. We've seen that. Saw the video that popped out from down at the Pro Day at Mississippi State with offensive line coach Bobby Johnson running cross through uh, some drills at it would look like right tackle, not left tackle, so that kind of plays into the what the Giants may need. Uh so I th- to me I think se- 7 is the spot where they have to make a decision. Five is the spot where they'll know if they want to trade it, they trade it. But if a stud is sitting there, then that'll be the decision that they have to make. I mean, you you know what you have in Evan Neal and Aquanu. And, you know, somehow Aiden Hutchinson is sitting there. And they'll make their call on Thibodeau, uh, whether or not they they would even consider him for either one of the picks. But the bottom line is, like you said, I, I think they have to come out of here with either a stud corner, which is sauce, or a tackle that they believe will be a bookend to Andrew Thomas and kind of cinch this offensive line together.
0: Yeah, you nailed it, Art. I think ultimately, if I had to guess right now and put a prediction on it, I don't think they're going to trade out of five or seven because of how this draft is set up. It's set up with a lot of blue-chip players that take at a position they need right now with the exception of obviously, you know, the quarterback, which we're not going to get to right now. But look, they could come out of five and seven with a combination of any of those tackles and that includes the third for me at least, Charles Cross. I'm a believer in Charles Cross. I know he's a bit hotly debated on Giants Twitter, on NFL an yeah. Twitter, and Draft Twitter. Some people view him as more of a mid-round first I've got. I view him as a top-ten prospect. I really like what I've seen from lacrosse. I think he has unbelievable mirroring ability, unbelievable footwork, and that's what I look for in tackles. And I think he just showed last season that he could get better as a run blocker. He hasn't been used. I mean, they haven't really used him. He hasn't shown much as a run blocker. He barely did it <laughs> at Mississippi State. That's just not the system they run there. It's a super pass heavy system. But that also works in his favor because he has a lot of really good tape as a pass protector. Out there and a lot of reps. I'm sure the Giants like that. So, three tackles, two edges, who I love, and I think it's possible that on Thibodeau falls. And for me, Kayvon Thibodeau is actually the number one prospect for me in the draft class. I go back and forth on him and Hutchinson, but the ceiling with Thibodeau is just too high for me to pass on. And so, you know, you got those five and then the corner in the Gardner. That's six players, and I think there's a good chance the Giants come out of the top seven with two of those.
1: Which is, you know, at that point, that's all you can ask for when you're when you're Joe Shane uh, and you're trying to build a foundation. And it's not just building a foundation. It's also building a foundation at players that you believe are going to be at a premium price for five years. And I think that's also the aspect that we haven't really factored in. I mean, sure, people know, but you don't really dig into it as much. Right. And different teams have different approaches to what they'll do. You know, and I think obviously the tackle spot, uh, the corner spot, and the quarterback are the three spots that are the premier positions in the top 10. And you could almost argue, and I'm sorry, I didn't mention the pass rusher. Obviously the pass rusher is there as well. Uh, But if you're building a roster, the way Joe Shane wants to build this roster, he's talked about positional value. So, if he's going to take a guy like Kyle Hamilton, which who I think is a very good player and could be ultimately in three years, we could be looking at Kyle Hamilton saying, how did people overlook him? Even though he's hyped as a top 10 pick, uh, he's that good. I mean, potentially he can have that kind of impact depending on where he ends up. But if you're building your roster, you know, you want to stick to those positions because you know, ultimately, the safety is sitting there at a franchise tag at what around 12 million? I think that I think that's where the safety tag was at around twelve million dollars a year. And the other positions are up over twenty, you know, and when we get to this rookie class's, you know, time four or five years from now, that's what you're looking. You're looking $20, $25 dollars a year for these prospects. You better be right, but you also better take them in the right spot. Because if you don't, you're then going to be paying for them in free agency, and we know what that's going to do to the salary cap and how you structure your foundation. So I think it's very interesting to see how this top 10 uh, breaks out. But for you and I, and I, for someone who follows you on Twitter and uh, knows where you go, the top 10 is fun. But day two and day three are the fun parts of this draft, because that's where the good teams really separate themselves. So I want to ask you, I want you to give me a couple prospects that you really like from, from your film work and things that you've dug into that you really like. That If the Giants ended up with them, you'd say, man, that is a home run. I love that guy on day two, day three.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. But before we do that, Art, I do want to touch a little bit on the point you made, because okay. I think it's an excellent point, and I don't think it's been discussed a lot, even by myself or anyone I've really seen cover the Giants this offseason. And it's the positional value argument. And even if you go back to Joe Shane's first, it wasn't his press, it was this interview with John Schmelk I was just looking at my notes from it. And he made a point of saying that positional value will be important to them. And that was something that wasn't the case with the last regime. That Abundantly clear. We don't need to go into all the examples. right? But what it put them in a position of is they needed to go out and spend a lot on an offensive tackle. They needed to go out and spend, oh, they didn't do it, but they could have needed to go out and spend a lot on an edge rusher. And all those positions, like you said, a cornerback, they spend a lot on James Bradbury, they spend a lot on a Dory Jackson. And so, what he's going to look at as a GM, and I commend him for this, is the value of drafting a player like a Kyle Hamilton early, knowing what you just said, that you don't have, that these are the guys that make less. Uh, and again, when you draft these rookies, you have them under team control for five years at a reasonable cost, especially if you draft them you know, in the first round. You have that fifth-year rookie option. So I, I really like that you brought that up, Art. But to get into the day two discussion, I will start by bringing up my favorite player for the Giants on day two. Now, he might be available to, the, to them in round three. He might not be. I personally will be okay with taking him in day two. I'm a big believer in him. And that's Leo Chanel. Yes, for those who follow me, Yes, he is
1: a Wisconsin Badger. Mr. Badger. We got you, Mr. Badger. (laughs) I have seen a
0: lot, but... It's just when you watch the tape of this guy, and then you think of him in that Wink Martindale defense, it's so hard to not get excited about him because he's the cookie cutter perfect fit inside backer for that Wink Martindale defense. Because he attacks downhill on the line of scrimmage with so much force, and he's such an impact as a, he makes such an impact as a blitzing linebacker. And when you factor all that in with his insane athleticism numbers from the pro day, you know the agility drills, the speed overall, the forty and the strength you can envision a case for him to be made that a case to be made that he's you know there's questions about his coverage that's the only thing that you can really question in his game and that's the only thing that's leaving him out of the discussion in my mind for a first round pick more of an old school backer in that sense but the question that i have and this happens a lot with nfl is how much of that is just that he wasn't asked to do it at the NFL, at the collegiate level? A lot of people said Jonathan Taylor couldn't be at receiving back at the next level because Wisconsin didn't use him that way. Well, he's done a pretty good job as receiving back in the NFL with the Colts. The same can be said about Melvin Gordon. And I think the same will be said about Chanel. He'll end up being a complete linebacker. So he's on my short list, obviously. And then it, there's a lot of interior linemen that I'm going to like, too. Some of whom I'm not sold will be there in the second round, Art, but can possibly be there obviously the top comes to my list would be zion johnson right i'm not positive some people have him as a first rounder i think that he might fall into that range surprisingly for the giants there and tyler smith at of Tulsa. side it depends if they go tackle in the first round arc but even if they do i can see them drafting a player like tyler smith who has really good tape and saying look we can make him a guard or we can convert him to the inside and have him be a great player there A sleeper, more of a sleeper is not getting as much buzz, but I also like is Darian Canard out of Kentucky, who I think can also kind of be a similar type player who might be able to kick inside. I have a lot of those those types of players on my short list. And then again, for me, another player I want to bring up for that second-round pick is Quay Walker out of Georgia because he has the athleticism to kind of transform that inside backer unit for the Giants. And I've been looking for athleticism, art, and talent at the inside linebacker position for a long time. Those who listen to the podcast know I was pretty harsh on what I saw from Tate Crowder last year on tape. I thought he was one of the worst starting inside backers on tape that I saw, at least across the games that I watched, which is basically just the Giants and their opponents. And I think if they upgrade that position in this draft, and I know they're bringing back Martinez, which is great, but if they upgrade that position and find a long-term solution there, that that that's optimal
1: for me. I think that's somebody that that some uh, that's a spot that they need to to upgrade at, at some point uh, soon for this defense to really click. And uh, yes, it's great that Br- Blake Martinez is back, and I hope he's back at one hundred percent. I'm curious to see how he works in this defense. You know the the thing that we talked about with Martinez in the Patrick Graham defense is that not only was he familiar with what. Patrick Graham wanted to do here, but also he knew Patrick Graham from their days in Green Bay together. So, a uh, little bit of a learning curve as well for Blake. i, I, I obviously he, he can learn anything. I mean, the guy is is unbelievably smart. I had him on the podcast last year before he got injured, uh, and you know he talked about his notes and the way things. You know, he, he went to Stanford. So, I mean, uh, that's really all you need to say. You mentioned Tyler Smith. I liked him as well. My latest pot, my latest uh, mock draft, I had him at 36 going to the Giants, and I agree with you. I think he's that perfect guy that whatever the, you know, I, I don't want to make comparisons to David Deal, but it is almost a David Deal kind of profile, the idea that, We need you at guard, you'll be a great guard. We need you at tackle, you'll hold up at tackle. Wherever we got to put you, you'll survive there and and you move from that. What will be interesting is what they do at safety. Uh, Jaquan Brisker is somebody at Penn State that I like. I don't know if I would go at a safety in that second-round pick uh, that high. Uh, But obviously the Giants as an organization have a little history going for that safety that high when they pick Landon Collins, but they did have to trade up one thing. I'll give you a nugget. I heard out at the combine that the feeling was, is that even if Zion Johnson fell out of the first round. Because the, the Giants would be too far back to get him because there would be somebody who identified him as a starting offensive lineman and would say, you know what? Here's where we can trade up to the top of the first, uh, top of the second round, which we all know when you get to day two, that's a long day on Friday. There are a lot of teams kind of jockeying for positions, feeling out price. So if the Giants really like Zion, uh, It would not shock me if they had to get into some sort of bidding war at the top of that second round uh and give up an asset to get him. Now, he might be good enough where they look at it and say, we got to have that guy. We think he can be our future center because the Giants were certainly intrigued when he started working out at center. Uh, and doing some center stuff, uh, both at the combine. And then obviously he'll do that, um, you know, through the circuit of pro day and who knows if he has a visit. So that's an interesting spot. Um, you know, look, you nailed on a bunch of different stuff. I think overall, um, I think we're both locked into the idea that the Giants will probably come out of that first round with an offensive tackle and either a corner or a pass rusher. Uh, together and they'll go from there i can envision the scenario where the top edge guy uh, that they envision on their board i'm not saying uh, hutchinson i mean hutchinson is probably uh, one on top of their board i don't know uh, but that's the other thing and I, let's wrap up with this because look i really appreciate your time dan schneier Big Blue Banter, obviously check him out on CBS Sports, uh, especially if you're a fantasy guy, because Dan is a fantasy analyst on there, so check his stuff out there. Uh, But Especially during the the tournament uh, in March Madness, it's madness for Dan all year long. But in terms of where they go, I think people get caught up in mock drafts versus draft boards. And I tweeted this early on Thursday, People want to start throwing prospects out based on what they see in mock drafts, and while the you know ESPN only has this guy ranked in the twenties, it's like no, they don't have them ranked in the twenties. That's where they are projecting them to go in the mock draft. That guy might be a top ten prospect for them, depending on where they fall. Guys like Devin Lloyd, um, you know, look, I don't think he's a top seven player in this draft, but I certainly would not be shocked. If the Giants through this evaluation process identify Devin Lloyd and say, boy, what could we do with that guy in Wink's defense? Similar to what you said about Leo Chanel, you know, you envision what guys can do. Um, what do you think about that? How do you land on the whole, you know, trying to evaluate a prospect and then matching him up to your board versus where you think he might end up going in the first round?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I've had a lot of people over the years talk to me about like, can you do a mock of, of where you think these guys are going to go? And I've always done my mock and I've always done my big boards based on how I stack the talent. And I don't really worry about the mocks and where they have people going. I'm with you. I don't really think that for the most part they're n- they're not typically accurate. And for the and and the, the key thing here is like you can mock a player to a certain place, but unless you're really digging deep into the systems of what these teams are running on offense and defense, it's never really going to be that accurate because as we've seen through the years, the Giants are a great example. Just look at what they've done with Patrick Graham and look at what they did before that with James Betcher. They drafted players to fit the system. That's how it goes in the NFL, and that's why when you see these turnovers with the coaching staff and at times with the GM it can take a while and it can be a full rebuild because you have players that were going to fit a, a prior system that don't fit the new system. So I'm with you. I don't tend to really put too much uh, stock into the mock drafts. And I have a lot of players like that I feel like can, like, for example, a guy that me and Nick are, are going to do a profile on soon, Greg Dolchich, tight end out of UCLA. And yep. I didn't mention it before, but I am big on tight end for this draft. I think the Giants are at, desperate levels of need at the tight end position. That's how bad it's gotten there. And he's a player who a lot of people are looking at. Like at earlier, I saw him, oh, he mocked in the fifth round. Uh, you know, some of these mocks, these other round mocks I'm looking at. There's no chance he's coming in the fifth round. If you watch any of his films, you'll see that an NFL team is going to look at him and be like, he can be a weapon in the passing game almost right away for us. We're using a third-round pick on a player like that. So that's the type of player who, if the Giants want, and they feel very strong about their evaluation on they're going to take on day three and some people may look at it like wait a second I saw him in the fifth round of mocks this is a bad pick no that doesn't make it a bad pick at all because these mocks are are, you know just guesswork for the most part in my opinion
1: yeah you know all the all the talk at the combine was going to be you know ruckert out of ohio state and then you know he, he gets hurt in the senior bowl and doesn't participate in pro day the other day, and guys like Dolchich and uh, Charlie Kolar from from Iowa State, and also Jelani Woods from from UVA. I mean, those are three guys that all of a sudden. I think they were probably higher on teams boards than they were in mock drafts, and now all of a sudden people are starting to see more video of them put out on Twitter, and it's almost like, whoa, these guys are really good. We got to bump them up from, you know, an undrafted free agent or a seventh round steal to, you know, they're probably sitting there at the third round, you know, and, and that's just kind of the fun of this whole thing, and, you know, I hope you had fun doing this. I certainly did, and I think we should definitely reconnect when we get closer to the draft. Have to see where we're at. Um, but again, uh, Dan, why don't you tell everyone where they could find you uh, on the internet and, uh, and watch some stuff and read some stuff that you put out.
0: Yeah, first of all again, thank you so much for having me on, Art. It was really cool to be able to do this. It was just a great fun conversation. It's so easy talking giant football with all of you, just like I knew it would be. But it was still a lot of fun, even though I predicted it anyway being this good. But anyway, <laughs> if you want to follow my work, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest place to find everything I do. That's Dan Schneier N F L on Twitter. D. A. N. S. E. H. N. E. I. E. R. Don't worry, if you can't spell it, some of my best friends still can't spell that last name. And we do a bit. We do a podcast over uh, at Blue Wire, and it's called the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Myself and Nick Colato. It's a giant film-based podcast. Most of what we do is based on the All Twenty Two coaches film that we evaluate, but we also bring in analytics and some thirty thousand foot view roster building ideas into the mix. So I think it's a it's a good it's a good uh, change of pace. I think from what else is out there. And then lastly, if you like fantasy sports, check us out on CBS Sports. I uh, do fantasy work over there on all of the sports. So if you ever want any content there, reach out to me there. So as always, if you know me, you know I'm very active on Twitter, and I will respond to anybody. So feel free to join the conversation. Just try not to troll me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you fall into the same trap as I do, Dan, but that's probably why we got together and uh, met each other a while on Twitter, and this was great. So uh, time to wrap up today's show. So I appreciate you being all in, and we'll be back As the news warrants over the next couple weeks, and we're building up to the NFL draft, a big step in the first chapter of the Joe Shane, Brian Dable era. For Dan Schneier, Art Stapleton, we'll check you next time.